Hey kids, Mandy here, and I wanted to personally invite you to join me for Cincinnati Song Initiative's first ever Fellowship of the Song, happening May 20th through 25th. In addition to a week full of amazing concerts, song workshops, and classes, I'll be leading some seriously fun study events on heartwarming topics such as murder ballads and exploring death through music and poetry. Should be a great time! (laughs) You can participate as an auditor, whether you come to Cincinnati in person or join remotely from your comfiest couch. And the best part is that all the week's events will be recorded for unlimited viewing through June 26th. So, what are you waiting for? Head to cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash audit to learn more about this groundbreaking new program for song. And I hope to see you in person or online. All right, so we're going to get started. <coughs> Listen up, kids. All right. We're going in. Here we go, leader gang. Hi there, and welcome to Follow the Leader, the podcast where we talk all things art song related. With me, your host, Mandy Madrid Sikic. If you've been keeping up with us, you know that the best way to show your support is to like, follow, download, subscribe, favorite, and whatever other suitable action you can enact upon our podcast. You can find us on a variety of podcast platforms, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, etc. The list goes on, but at the moment does not include iTunes. Hopefully we'll fix that soon. And most importantly, if you like what we're doing, tell your friends. And if you don't, tell your enemies, because any publicity is good publicity. Today, we are joined by guest vocalist, Dr. Tyler Michael Anthony Reese. (laughs) Ooh. (laughs) Um, Since our last recording, Tyler has finished his DMA at UC Santa Barbara and is sounding more beautiful and looking more scholarly than ever and is definitely not moving away from me now that he's finished with school and looking for jobs. Um, Please, if anyone from California is listening, give my friend a job so he doesn't have to move away. Also, I am beyond thrilled to have a very special guest co-host today, my dear friend, Ben Offringa. Can you please pronounce your last name for me? Offringa. That's what I thought, but then I was like not sure if it was you didn't pronounce the G at all. And then I was like, what if I've been accenting the wrong syllable all these years? Most people do. It's like, it's totally a thing. Do they say Offringa? Most people say Offringa. When it's really, it's a cascade. It's right, offering. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> okay. exactly. I've never heard you explain it like that. Frisian Dutch. Oh. Mm-hmm. I am uh, stoked out of my mind to have you here, Ben. I hope you guys are ready for this. <laughs> it's going to be an adventure. <laughs> yeah. So um, why don't you actually tell the listeners how we know each other, what kind of strange adventures we've been on? Oh, just so many strange adventures, Mandy. <laughs> well, it all started back in, what, 2012, 2013? We found ourselves in some I'm gonna choir. I'm going to say 2011. Oh. Yeah. Actually, that makes sense. Yeah. 2011. Because we had just finished like a spring tour in somewhere lame. And we were on a bus coming back. And we decided to be friends. And the rest was just kind of like history after that. Yes. You know? Performance after performance after performance. Yes. So I was the accompanist for the choir that you were singing in. Yes. And what sorts of places have we been to? Oh, man. I mean, other than like every state west of the Mississippi, we're talking Lithuania. (laughs) We're talking (laughs) Russia. We're talking... 
Maybe those are the only Maybe ones, those are the only ones we've been <laughs> Anyway, we we I think Lithuania cool and Russia are very... <laughs> that was pretty cool, actually. Yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> and also very impressive on our friendship resume. Yes, yes. Well said. Good stuff. Thank you. Um, Thank you. So let's move on to the real reason we are here. Later. Today's song is infamous indeed. One need merely speak its title and all the pianists in the room shiver at thoughts of tendonitis that suddenly consume them. It certainly strikes fear in even the most accomplished of pianists and also presents some very tricky vocal issues. Not only is it infamous for its ferociously difficult piano part, but also for its tragic story. One in which a father, fearing for the life of his ill-struck son, gallops faster and faster, fighting off ghostly apparitions while trying to hold off death to the very last moment. The song, of course, is Schubert's Erlkönig, with the text by Goethe. So, Ben, ever heard of this song? Yeah. <laughs> no. Honestly, no. Although, I mean, something about it rings a bell. I, like, I can't put my finger on it, but... Probably, you know it because I can't stop talking about it. <laughs> Probably like the last <laughs> decade of my life, I've not been able to stop talking about this song because I love it so much. Um, and listen, I know that a lot of the listeners might be thinking another Schubert song, another text by Goethe. And if that's the case, then Leave. sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I am a Schubert file through and through. Um, but also, I do promise a word I totally made up. Schubert file. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I think it yeah, works. That's like, that's I mean, nice. it's on my Instagram bio, so it's official. Um, but uh, actually, we do have some other stuff coming up. I swear to God, we're going to be doing some Schumann. Actually, I already have a Schumann episode recorded. I've just not done the editing um, because I think it's going to be hard to edit. But um, we also have some Mendelssohn, some Brahms. Um, so guys, just be patient and wait for the Lord's diamond. <laughs> anyway, um, so we're talking today about Schubert, about Goethe. My sources for this episode, I uh, was consulting with um, Daryl Percival's Fiction and Folklore blog. I also found some stuff on Ethos Interrupted, um, NorseMythology.org. Also, Tyler sent me a fascinating article today by Christopher Biggs uh, titled Komm geh mit mir, Schubert's Uncanny Erlkönig. And that article was absolutely fascinating. So uh, for any of you like true leader nerds out there, um, it was 21 pages of really, really dense, fascinating stuff. Also, Dietrich Fischer Discow's book, Schubert, a biographical study of his songs. And as always, whenever I feature a song by Schubert, I have indeed consulted that great Schubert Bible, Graham Johnson's Schubert, the Complete Songs Volumes. Okay, so. We learned a bit about Goethe in the last podcast. Ben, since you did your homework, anything in particular you care to share with our listeners about what you learned about Goethe, if anything was new? Or I mean, okay, so I come from like kind of a pretty rich theatrical history background, um, studied a lot in, in college, and uh, I mean, Goethe is just, well, he's prolific. Like there is just so much of him everywhere. It's like you can't escape just in regards to that and how prolific he was he was never satisfied like he never looked back and kind of sat on his laurels and said well that's good he like kept striving for more every time he like mastered one thing he was like on to the next thing and he had such a variety of interests that's why we have so so much uh, material from right. him so Goethe's dates just as a quick recap 
1749 through 1832. End recap. <laughs> Look, I'm trying to be I succinct like here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in a nutshell, the song that we're talking about today, Erl König, is um, Goethe's poem. It's a tragic drama involving the mythical creature, the Earl King. So, who is the Earl King? What does he do? Where is he from? And most importantly, does he know what a Schubert is? These are all great questions, and we will certainly be able to answer some, but there is actually a lot more confusion about him and the origination of his myth than I realized until I started studying for this episode. So the myth of the Earl King can be traced loosely back to Scandinavian folklore. Now, listen closely here, because this thread we're going to follow is a bit loose. According to Scandinavian legend, elves were creatures of dread. No Santa's workshop kind of beings. No, no. I'm thinking more like, you know, in Lord of the Rings, when I think Galadriel. When she gets all evil yeah. in front of her she, like pool. She, and she, she like goes, tells Frodo like what was shows Frodo like what would happen to yeah. her if she had the ring. She rings. goes like full on reverse filter. Yes. Yeah, okay. I I'm thinking that. kind of like that. So super okay. terrifying. So the king of the elves was said to dwell on old burial mounds, so hence his connection with death. In the original Scandinavian ballad, it's actually the Earl King's daughter who is the mythical creature to be feared. Um, Female elves in general were thought to hunt out human men to satisfy their desire, jealousy, lust for revenge. Why does this sound so familiar? Well, because that is a very typical creature, like the sirens or the witch Lorelei. Right. Um, They're all that same kind of female mythical creature who, like, roam the woods or sit on top of a rock trying to lure, Mm -hmm. lure men, again, to satisfy some sort of, like, lustful, revengeful thing. Um, and typically we don't know specifically what they want revenge for, but I can imagine all sorts of things a woman might (laughs) revenge for. (laughs) Um, so in 1779, a writer slash philosopher slash literary critic named Johann Herder wrote a German version of the Scandinavian ballad, but instead of translating the Danish word Elfking, Ellerkonge, Instead of translating that to the German, which would be Elfenkönig, he translated it to Erlkönig, which actually means the alder king. Alder as in like trees. Mm-hmm, right. So Herder could potentially have been led astray by the fact that the Danish word Elle can be translated not only to elf, but also to alder tree. Mm. So some people think it was a blunder. Some people think that maybe he did that intentionally. There is also some lore around alder trees and like this aura that kind of surrounds mm. them. Uh, in any case, that's what, ha- that's what happened. Mm. Mm. What's interesting about Herder's ballad is that, so in 1779, the ballad that he wrote, uh, the elf king is actually only mentioned as a point of reference so that we know who the daughter is. It is the daughter, just like in Scandinavian folklore, that stars as the villain. So even though Herder's text, this German translation that he wrote of it, even though that's not our song for today, I'm actually going to read you that poem that he wrote. Mm -hmm. 
uh, because it's super cool. And well, I just really want to. Yes. <laughs> so um, this translation of Johann Herder's poem, The Earl King's Daughter, is by our favorite friend, Emily Isust, um, from her wonderful life-saving website, LeaderNet. Um, I actually emailed her for permission to use this text, and she emailed me back immediately. She's like, great. Yeah, she's, she's absolutely just the best. Tyler's cheering for her in the background because she's really awesome about Thanks, that. Thanks, Queen. Yes, so Emily Isust, thank you. So here's uh, the translation of Johann Herder's poem. Lord Oluf rides late and far to summon his wedding guests. Elves are dancing on a green bank, and the Earl King's daughter offers him her hand. Welcome, Lord Oluf. Come, dance with me, and I will give you two golden spurs. I cannot dance. I do not wish to dance, for tomorrow is my wedding day. Come closer, Lord Oluf. Come dance with me, and I will give you a shirt of silk, a shirt of silk so white and fine, my mother bleached it with moonbeams. I may not dance. I do not wish to dance, for tomorrow is my wedding day. Come closer, Lord Oluf. Come dance with me, and I will give you a heap of gold. A heap of gold I would gladly take, but I cannot and should not dance with you. If you will not dance with me, Lord Oluf, then plague and sickness will follow you. She dealt him a blow to the heart, and all his life he had never felt such pain. Then she heaved him up upon his horse. Ride home to your worthy lady, then. And he came to the door of his house. His mother, trembling, stood before him. Tell me, my son, and tell me true, why are you so pale and sick? And should I not be pale and sick? I was in the Earl King's realm. Tell me, my son, so dear, what should I tell your bride? Tell her that I rode to the wood just now to test my horse and hound. At early morning when day had dawned, his bride arrived with a wedding crowd. They poured mead and wine. Where is Lord Oluf, my bridegroom? Lord Oluf rode to the wood just now to test his horse and hound. The bride lifted up the cloth scarlet red, and there lay Lord Oluf. He was dead. I realized halfway through that poem that it sounds a ton <laughs> like Per Gunt. Oh! Which is, which if, if, if listeners don't know, is this epic play that was written by Henrik Ibsen like 1800s. Okay. Anyway, um, I should mention, by the way, that Henrik Ibsen is Scandinavian. Um, Aha! Yes, sorry. Should have made that connection right, right. first. Instead of the elf king, it's the troll king. Troll King lives oh, in his own realm. Okay. He has a daughter uh -huh. whom he is desperately trying to marry. Mm -hmm. um, but there's this whole thing with violent dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is like a weird sense of parallel there. Sure, sure. Okay, so I actually have another surprise. Ooh. The composer, Carl Lova set this poem to music. And Tyler and I recorded it a few years ago. So oh, my God. we're going to play that recording and I will include that in the podcast. Oh, I make a pretty tragic mistake right at the beginning. I'm aware that it's there. There's nothing I can do about it. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so what'd you think? It's awesome. I mean, it's just like I was talking about earlier about like um, about textual painting. The story is just like you don't have to understand it. Yeah. To know, I mean, obviously, you know, the nuances of like, oh, he was whisked off to like an elf multiverse. Like, that's weird. <laughs> but in terms of an like, elf multiverse. in terms of like the emotions that, yeah. uh, that accompany it is totally like, is more than clear. You're right. It's so imbued with uh, this intense thing that's ineffable. Mm-hmm. We somehow understand. There are words there, but we somehow, even without them, right. understand like the nature of what's going on. Yeah. Okay. So as of 1779, we have the OG Scandinavian legend of the Elf King and the Elf King's daughter. But we also now, as we just heard, have Johann Herder's German version of the ballad of the Earl King's daughter. Same people, same story-ish, different names, right? This is where Goethe enters the equation. Goethe had met Herder around 1770 and was inspired by Herder's literary criticism to continue developing his own literary career. Herder became Goethe's teacher, and it is most likely from Herder himself that Goethe learned about the ballad and had the idea to make one of his own. But Goethe, being a bona fide genius, decides to change things up, and instead of focusing on the Earl King's daughter, decides to feature the Earl King himself as the evil antagonist. Mm. So uh, so a fun fact that some of our more nerdy leader followers might be interested in, Goethe's text for the Earl King, which we'll be reading later, is actually part of his Zingspiel, Die Fischerin. Um, And a Zingspiel is uh, like a form of German light opera. Um, So it's Mm. like there's spoken dialogue and they're singing. Gotcha. In the Zingspiel, the character of Dortchen sings this little ditty to herself as she waits for her father and her fiancé to return from fishing. So why she didn't choose a happier story to dwell on, I don't know, but she didn't, and song pianists everywhere curse her for it. (laughs) Now, here is the great beauty of this text and why it appeals to those with a flair for drama. You will hear four different voices in the poem. That of the narrator the father, the child, and then the Earl King himself. These parts are spoken or sung by the same performer. Uh, So we are going to read Goethe's text now. This translation is done by, well, me. (laughs) So if you have a problem with it, see you never. Goethe's Earl König. Who rides so late through night and wind? It is the father with his child. He has the boy in his arms. He grasps him safely. He keeps him warm. My son, why do you hide your face so fearfully? Father, do you not see the Earl King, the Earl King with crown and train? My son, it is a misty streak. You lovely child, come, go with me. Beautiful games I will play with you. Many colorful flowers are on the shore. My mother has many golden garments. My father, my father, do you not hear what the Earl King so softly promises to me? Be quiet. Remain calm, my child. The dry leaves, the wind rustles. Fine boy, don't you want to go with me? 
my daughters shall wait on you. My daughters lead the nightly dance and will sway and dance and sing you to sleep. My father, my father, don't you see there the Earl King's daughters in that dark place? My son, I see it accurately. There shine the old willows so gray. I love you. Your beautiful form arouses me. And if you are not willing, I will need to use force. My father, my father, he is grasping me. The Earl King has dealt me a great pain. The father is horrified. He rides fast. He holds in his arms the groaning child. He reaches the courtyard with effort and distress. In his arms, the child was dead. Yikes. <laughs> Heavy stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although, interestingly, there's an element to that story that, again, reminds me of Paragunt, which is about this whole, like, sisters thing. Because mm -hmm. there's this whole concept of, like, oh, yes, the sisters will, like, dance you to sleep kind oh, of right, concept. Oh, right, right. Yes. Well, I think that just specifically with the element of dancing, that's always been a sort of pagan mm -hmm. invoking evil or... I, just I don't invo know, invocation in general. Yes, think, yes. Yeah. And dancing is often involved in that, whether it's to like entice someone mm. or to distract them or... Uh, so yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Um, little personal anecdote. So in grad school, because like I said, I've always been obsessed with this song. In grad school, I was taking an academic German class and my teacher, um, Gisela, God bless her, I love her so much, um, she asked us all to bring in an example of a German text that we'd be dealing, dealing with in our various lines of work. So in this class, it was all like different courses of study. There was mm -hmm. like an anthropologist. And there was like some scientists, like just totally random. Everyone needs German. Right. Everyone needs German because a lot of times in these, uh, in your different courses, uh, you would, you'd be needing to read a text and it would be in German. Mm -hmm. um, so I, being on my lofty leader horse, bring in a copy of the Erlkönig. The teacher takes the poem and she begins reading it in her gorgeous native German. I'm looking around in the classroom and I'm feeling pretty pleased with myself for bringing in something so esoteric, so lofty. And I'm wondering if anyone else really understands the true nature of the poem like I, an artistic intellectual, do. So I'm feeling pretty smug as she's nearing the end of the poem and suddenly she stops before the last line and she can't finish. She starts crying and she's apologizing for not being able to finish but she says that the death of the child, like it gets to her every mm. time. First of all, I felt so bad <laughs> and I had made one of my favorite teachers of all time cry. And then second of all, I realized that I hadn't really like gotten it after all like it's about the death of the child and i was trying to impress people <laughs> <laughs> so, <ugh>. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on schubert set goethe's text to music in 1815 so the the poem was published as part of the zingspiel in uh, 1782 mm. um, but schubert didn't come across it until 1815 if you remember actually the first text that he set uh, by Goethe was that of Gretchen am Spinrade hmm. from Faust. And by this time, by the time he ran across his poem, he had already set quite a few of Goethe's poems. The story goes that a group of friends went to Schubert's place and they found him excitedly reading, excitedly reading the poem, for it seems he, seems he had just discovered it. 
he immediately sat down and composed the song on the spot without a piano there for he didn't have one uh, in his place at the time. Then later that evening, they all went over to the Stadtkonvikt, where Schubert went to school, to try it out. And they all like praised it. And although it was kind of funny, there was this one part where they thought there was a mistake in it and that he didn't write it down accurately. But um, one of the group goes on to show like, no, 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 this actually, this is very intentional. This mm. really means a lot here. And we'll talk about that later. Mm. Um, it, it was written in 1815, but wasn't published until six years later, actually as Schubert's Opus One. And this is a work that he, this is really what catapulted him into fame. When people would like write about him in journals and things, they would always refer to him as the composer of this song. That's how he got to be known. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually going to move over to the piano so we can talk about some of the uh, magic that Schubert worked. All right. I'm now adequately set up at the piano. So like we said before, this poem has four different people who speak the narrator, the father, the son, and the Earl King. Schubert perceives there's actually another character, that of the horse, and he portrays the horse in the piano part with these thundering triplet octaves. <laughs> From the poem, we understand that the boy is sick and the father is riding fast, as fast as he can to get him some help. There's no missing the incessancy of these octaves underscoring the entire narrative with the desperation that pushes the father to ride his horse so very fast. Uh, those octaves continue throughout the entire piece, almost without exception. Uh, hence the reasons for tendinitis and pianists fearing it, because it's about, I think it's about five minutes long, <laughs> and it just doesn't stop, and it's a real test of stamina. Um, yeah, and I mean, there is a lot of discussion about how Schubert's piano back in the day, he, um, it was much lighter in action, so it didn't take quite as much right. weight uh, in order to press down. Um, but there's not really a solution now for our modern day pianos. And also, absolute hilarious thing, he wrote an easier version of for himself to play. <laughs> uh, instead of being triplets, he, he wrote duplets. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Which doesn't have quite the same sense of yeah, urgency. The, the say, triplets yeah. make it really feel frantic. So that, that figure continues uh, almost without exception throughout the entire piece, but, but we'll get to the exception in a minute. Um, the next thing that Schubert does is introduce this creeping motive in the bass. Um, Graham Johnson, that great god of leader pianists, points out that this figure, quote, punctuates the repeated octaves, suggesting something dangerous that creeps up on you at night even if you are writing at full speed, end quote. Yeah, I'm, that's exactly what it Yeah, you like. can tell from this there's something ominous trying to get us. You're, you're two measures in and you can feel the dread. Like you can feel yes. the impending danger. And that's what um, I think is so fascinating about both this and like Gretchen that we talked about last time. He sums up the entire like pathos of 
of the thing. In the introduction. Just just with this little tiny, tiny, tiny little bit. And it, uh, wh- what's the word? Not perpetuates, but it just uh, permeates. It permeates Ooh, <laughs> the entire piece. Mm. Schubert nonchalantly displays his compositional prowess by setting the four speaking voices in different ways or different places in the voice so that we can hear four distinct people speaking. I was saying before, that's what I was trying to get across in my dramatic reading without being cheesy. Not sure if I succeeded. Um, But in the song, the narrator's part is set in the middle register. It's neither high nor low. Tyler, can you sing the beginning of the narrator's part? Bereitet so spät durch Nacht und Wind. When the father speaks, the vocal part is set low. We feel his attempt at courage, his attempt to stay grounded, though he's flying over the ground on horseback. We hear in his voice his attempt at protecting the boy. Um, you want to sing where the father? Mein Sohn, was birgst du so bang dein Gesicht? When the boy speaks, it's set high in the voice. And as the song goes on, the, the boy's part gets higher and higher as he becomes more and more anxious and panicked about what the Earl King is saying and doing. Um, fa- uh, father. <laughs> Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> father Tyler. Um... Tyler, you want to sing, let's sing through these three different Mein Vater entrances. So the first time the boy sings, cries out for his father, it sounds like this. Mein Vater, mein Vater. Then the next time he sings, it sounds like this. Mein Vater, mein Vater. Then the last time the boy cries out for his father, it sounds like this. Mein Vater, mein Vater. So you can hear it's literally the pitch is rising as he's getting more and more caught up in his heightened emotions. Also, throughout the song, as the boy's crying out for his father, each time he does that, it's set against the piano in a minor second, which is that one part that I said when they first played it, like the first kind of run through of the song, people thought like, oh, this this can't be right. This has to be a mistake. Mm. But actually, the way that this dissonance is set, I think that we hear his pain and his panic and it gives us the sense that everything is not going to be okay. So when the when the piano comes in with the voice, it sounds like this. Mein Vater, mein Vater. Ouch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But physically, I mean, like physically speaking, that's exactly what this child is experiencing. Right. Right. It's very visceral. Our our, our reaction to that. And then finally, the fourth voice. The Earl King speaks, and let me tell you, it's just about the creepiest thing you will hear in all of leader repertoire. (laughs) Uh, The Earl King's part, like the narrator, is also set in the middle range of the voice, but Schubert changes the piano accompaniment figure. At the first entrance of the Earl King, uh, this is where he says, you lovely child, come, go with me. Very beautiful games we will play. The accompaniment changes from our octaves that we have, we've had the whole time. 
to this. And this is why everyone is afraid of clowns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To me, it has the feeling of like dancing a bit, of something that's like trying to entertain a child, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, have you ever babysat and when the parents are first going to leave and you're trying to distract the kid, you're trying to do anything you can to like get them to like focus on you, whether mm. it's like dancing or like, ooh, look at this. Like, mm -hmm. look at this thing I'm going to show you. I think that that's what he's doing here. He's trying to entertain the child enough to like go with him and not cry from leaving his father. Right. Also, when he says, um, these games, I will play with you, he has this little figure on the word play. Like, it sounds oh. like he's, he's going to play with him. Um, so this first bit of enticing doesn't work. And the child cries out for his father. Um, and as we hear the octaves again thundering out in the piano part. So we get we get away from this from this Earl King playing around back to these. After the boy cries out this first time for his father, the father trying to calm him says, you're not hearing anything. It's just the wind in the trees. So the Earl King takes this opportunity to speak again this time inviting the child to come dance with his daughters. And the accompaniment figure changes once more. It goes from these triplets to this. It's very evocative of the dance. They are winding around, but also the vocal part that goes around, that goes with this, it always reminds me of a slithering snake. Like he's trying to slither around and like ensnare the boy with his sweetness. Mm. Oh, that was great alliteration. Did you hear that? Oh, I'm so impressed with myself. Uh, so Tyler, let's actually sing that part. It sounds like a snake as he's trying to tell them about uh, the, the his daughter's dancing for him. Mm. Willst feiner, just start on that. So after this, once more, the boy cries out and asks his father if he sees the Earl King's daughter in that dark daughters in that dark place. The father answers, it's really just some old willow trees. Now, I highly recommend, I'm going to put this in my show notes. There's a video recording of Anne-Sophie Mutter um, singing this song, and I, I recommend it for this moment. I've always kind of thought of the father whenever he says these things, oh, it's just the wind, it's just the whatever. Um, he just like really seems to be kind of not caring about his son's distress. But in Anne-Sophie's interpretation, I feel like she does such a good job of showing the father's vulnerability while at the same time portraying that, uh, like, for the sake of his son, he can't show fear or panic. Mm -hmm. It's Honestly, it's really fantastic. And like I said, I'll post a link to it in the show notes. Mm. I think she switches up some words here and there, but honestly, I don't even mind because... Her interpretation is just so compelling, and it's an orchestration, so it's with uh, orchestra instead of piano accompaniment. Oh wow! So it's like that must <laughs> make really the triplets like a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this now brings us to the final entrance of the Earl King, where he finally says what he means. He whispers, and it's pianissimo in the score. He whispers. I said that with with a lisp. Did you hear that? 
It's pianissimo. Yeah, pianissimo. For some reason, I also imagine that this Earl King has a lisp. Has a lisp? <laughs> I don't know why, but he just seems well, like that kind of dude. So uh, he whispers at a pianissimo. He whispers, I love you. Your form arouses me. And if you are not willing, I will use force. This almost like pedophiliac moment is the creepiest of the creepy. And Schubert was brilliant in his use of dynamics here. He starts that out pianissimo. Where the Earl King says, I love you. And it stays quiet until he says, and if you are not willing, I will use force. And the sudden fortissimo, that's triple forte, Mm -hmm. it's very frightening because the Earl King has finally revealed what his intention is. He's going to take this boy whether the boy wants to go or not. This act of like reaching out and actually grabbing for the boy catapults us into the boy's last utterance. And he cries out, my father, the Earl King, has hurt me. And his voice is raised to its highest, most feverish pitch at this point. After that, the narrator brings the story to its thrilling climax. The narrator describes how the father, being horrified at, his, at the child's crying and groaning, rides faster and faster. You can hear this in the piano part. And as if it hasn't been hard enough already, after six pages of relentless accompaniment... It gets faster. Exactly. Schubert Schubert writes double octaves. And then puts in a little cute little accelerando there. So we're literally racing to the end, hoping desperately to make it to help before the boy expires. Or the pianist, as the case may be. I'm starting to understand this analogy now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Expiration is inevitable. So you can hear in the the accompaniment the desperation of the last part of the father's journey. Uh, But I don't actually want to play that right now because I don't want to give away, like, the final climax. And I'm going to save that for the actual performance. Again with climax talk. Oh, I know. (laughs) It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's all over, leader. Um. The father and the son, they finally arrive at the courtyard, which sounds a bit like this. I told you he'd start singing. <laughs> he always sings to this. Sorry, I'm sorry, you have to go, ladybug. Oh, poor little Sheltie. Bye, Zar. Okay. So I think I said that sounds a bit like this. After this arrival, Schubert sets the final line as a recit. The accompaniment stops, and it's like time itself has stopped as the father looks to see his child dead in his arms. I don't know why I want to smile. I was whenever I'm doing talk about something tragic, I'm like. <laughs> Someone listens to too much. My favorite murder. I'm not actually ha- happy someone's dead. I just I, I used to do that when I was growing up, and my mom would like get mad at me or yell at me. I would start smiling. What is that? That's the sign of a psychopath, I think. There are many cultures that smile and laugh when they feel incredibly either physically uncomfortable. Oh. Anyway, it's a whole thing. Okay, fascinating. We must discuss more later. We must discuss this offline. Okay, so we're going to perform it for you now. I am so excited. Are you? (laughs) I did have like one little question for you. Yes. And it's mostly related to the text, but I wonder how you feel about the Earl King saying, I love you. Yeah. 
and that I mean, you know, pedophilia aside with the like, oh, your figure arouses me. Yes. So there's been much discussion on this. And actually, if you um, anyone who's interested, go online and read Christopher Gibbs uh, article. It's uh, it's called Komm geh mit mir, the Schubert's uncurly, uncurly Earl King, uncanny Earl King. Um, So there is some speculation about like what is actually meant by this. Um, I personally, to me, what makes sense is that this this creature of the Earl King, he loves the boy for what the boy can help him accomplish. The Earl King's function is to take children to their death to take them over the threshold from life into death and that's what gives him purpose the boy is helping him live out that fulfillment fulfillment and that's why the earl king loves him Mm. it's just because it gives him purpose like come with me Mm -hmm. you are why i'm here a fine little boy like you that's exactly why an earl king like me exists Right. To take you across the threshold. And would you say that that exists inside of this greater mythology? Or is this kind of uh, a Goethe-Schubert interpretation where there's this yeah. duality here where it's not just m- like myth anymore. It's a, it's a tale this child heard in, in life mm-hmm. and now in, in experiencing his own death mm-hmm. is starting to interpret it that way. So in the sense that this this father is saying, hey, this is not the Earl King. This is the wind. These are willows, not his daughters. Maybe he's right, you know, and there is this and maybe this is probably too modern an interpretation here. But like it's it's both, you know, it's, it's what the yeah. child sees in yeah. his death. Yeah. And and what the father experiences, which is that this is not actually happening. This is just how this boy is crossing over, because this is how he this is this is yes. the closest thing he gets to interpreting his own death. Yeah, I really like that. I've I think I've not really thought so much about the father being aware of how the son is processing his own death. I've always sort of thought of it more in the like the romantic kind of terms. Oh no, if he's hallucinating to the point where he sees the Earl King, that's bad news. My son is going to die. Right. And you're probably right. Like I mean, this is this is inherently like these are romantic pieces, you know what I mean? Right. But I do like that idea of there being another layer underneath that. And it's so deeply psychological. Like this is right. this is so much coming from like a modern interpretation of like, oh, this is a psychology of mental interpretation. Well, and we've actually there's been um, a couple of different like polarizing shifts that's happened. Um, you know, there's a, 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 a thought of literary critique where you shouldn't be over emotional. You shouldn't be mm. over romantic with it. It should just kind of speak for itself and not be like sort of over interpreted or mm-hmm. overworked. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not how things were seen when this was first written. Tyler, what, what do you have to say about that? Do you want to grab the mic for a second? I'm sure you have some thoughts on it. Uh, yeah, I do. Because I mean, there's a lot of text painting in Schubert's setting and stuff. It's so overly dramatic and like you know exactly what's going on at all times. But there were a lot of people who critiqued um, Schubert's setting because like even just 20 or 30 years after it was written. Um, because if you read Goethe's poem like by itself, it doesn't necessarily have this over-exaggerated like tense like thing from the very start of it it's more like mysterious and Mm. and uh, like misty hazy like it's a little bit um more cerebral i guess you could say yeah yeah. because it's 
presented without emotion, really. It's sort of the music that I think they were saying that gives it the emotion. Mm -hmm. But then other people were saying that, well, Schubert got the emotion because it's in the poem. I don't know if that answers your question specifically about the I love you. Um, I think that it's probably too much to read into it that it's like true uh, pedophilia. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Absolutely. Um, like that's not that's not what I was positing. But, but I, I like how you I like the interpretation that this is what gives him life. This is this is his right. purpose. This is his destiny. This is the only thing he does. Also, I think that kind of playing around with the idea idea that's a bit there is a bit of that sexual tension underlying helps the vocalist and pianist to achieve maybe a different color mm -hmm. than would be if they hadn't contemplated that at all. Mm -hmm. Like there's a slight sense of pleasure yeah, and, from and from that taking of the life, and and whether or not like that that is that is shown through the piano and the voice mm -hmm. intentionally, the audience picks up on that. Yeah, and that that sense of pleasure in yes. in this horrible situation is akin to the like the the minor second that you referenced earlier, yeah. which this is huge clash in your head of this cannot be happening yes. well and actually that's another great everyone go read that article by christopher gibbs the la the whole last um page was about that like the duality of these things that shouldn't go together mm. the pleasure with the pain like these are things that we can't kind of reconcile in our mind but it's fascinating that mm. they're they're both here they exist um so yeah everyone go read that article but one of the most fascinating things goes along with your question exactly is like, why did he choose to make the Earl King male or male oriented in this when traditionally and, and in the Scandinavian folklore, it's always been about mm -hmm. the daughters uh, yeah. luring these yeah. men in to yeah. kill them and stuff. So there is that element, like no one can really say why or what it means yeah. <laughs> for sure. But there is that element of like slightly homoerotic tension as well as like obviously the mm -hmm. the tension of death in there as well so yeah and also and and you know we haven't really touched on this but the mention of his mother oh yeah what is that i don't know uh about that from from mythology from the legend i don't know why he says my mother has many uh, golden garments what did he say my mother has like so many golden garments is this an appeal to like to like the earl king's own sense of like in, in his trickery mm -hmm. is this his own appeal to to this child's sense of humanity in that like oh i have a mom too don't yeah, you love potentially your mom? i could also maybe see it if this child is this sick to the point of death, maybe he has come from not a great situation. Maybe he doesn't have a ton of money. Maybe he doesn't. Ha maybe he hasn't had like the means by which to stay healthy. And golden garments might sound really great to a kid who grew up poor. Yes, let me be comfortable. Let me wear gold. Yeah. Or maybe he has neither. Neither a mother nor gold, which is could which be. is what yes. this. Yeah. Which is why totally could be. But this is why I love leader because there's so many possibilities. We could have so much backstory and and being able to to come up with this backstory, whether or not it's in the text or in the music. It's gonna help you paint it. It helps us paint it. It yeah. helps us be more convincing in our performance, mm. which we should now. Excellent segue. <laughs> I love when I do that. <laughs> like a master. All right. Mm -hmm. 
to collect my thoughts a little bit. <laughs> like, wow. And that was like truly a performance, not like him singing a song. Yeah. Um, it's like planned out, but at the same time, in the moment, you just have to kind of go with the passion. Exactly. You know, like each time it's a tiny bit different. Um, mistakes notwithstanding. <laughs> no, and that's like but, the beauty um, of live performance. You know what I mean? Is that like it's, it's never the same. Yeah. Perfectly. Uh, this, is, this one's kind of funny for me because... I love the song so very much, and I I love doing live performances of it. I was kind of cursing myself a little bit for <laughs> deciding to do it on the podcast <laughs> because it's just so exposing. I mean, oh, and hilariously, at the beginning of this performance, my page was on the wrong one, and so I had to like reach up and turn back a page because I looked onto the next page I was supposed to be right. playing and it was the wrong one. <laughs> um, but you were 100% right about the like the force moment. Oh, yeah. It just it changes yeah. everything. Yeah. And even even when you've been hearing this this intense galloping refrain for, I mean, like what, like six, seven pages at yeah. this point, it takes on a completely different character the moment he switches. Totally. 
And it stops. Totally. And I mean, like, even though there is this sense of panic the whole mm-hmm. time, this is like, it's happening. It's now. Yeah. He touched me. I'm yeah. dead. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. We feel that that particular climax and the horror of it. Yeah. Literal I literally, like, yeah. our hearts are pounding. I think we literally said those same things in the, in the last podcast. But it's true, especially at the end of this one. It's it's a physical toll. It's an emotional toll by the time we reach that climax. And it's it's an just... just Let loose. Yes. Yeah, everything. Um, well, I think with that, unless you have any other closing comments, any other thoughts that I are in your I think I need mind? a nap after this. <laughs> I'm just... As long as nothing's reaching for me in my dreams. <laughs> I know. Sorry for the nightmares you might have tonight. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yeah, my way home. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, okay, so this is hilarious. On Brian and I were riding bikes yesterday around town, and I had the, that little lick in my head, and I was, like, humming it, but for some reason it kept coming out major. <laughs> and I was like, why can't I sing it in minor? <laughs> it was really funny. Um, so, yeah, it is a little earworm that will stick with you. Well, thank you, Ben. I cannot thank you enough for being here, for co-hosting, guest co-hosting. You were brilliant. You were amazing. We'll definitely have nothing to do with me. This is all (laughs) Earl Koenig. Indeed, yeah. It was was pretty close. Pretty close. Okay, thank you. Um, So we will definitely have to have you on again, Tyler. Thank you for going on this crazy Earl Koenig journey with me. Um, and guys, this has been a journey like years in the making. Don't get me too emotional with Tyler about to possibly move away, but you're right. It has been all right. Time for our nerdiness to come to a close. Um, listeners out there, we thank you for joining us today. Thanks for going on this crazy leader journey with us and we will catch y'all next time. Bye. Bye. If you love this podcast, then you'll love the Song Cycle podcast, also by Cincinnati Song Initiative. Song Cycle introduces the coolest and awesomest leaders of the song world today and dives into getting to know them and their unique stories, where they think song in the 21st century is headed, and lots of other great topics. If you're looking for your next source of inspiration as you continue on your own musical journey as a song lover, look no further than Song Cycle with me, your host, Sam Martin. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and join the conversation.